praying for our country. We're dealing with some very trying times. These times are, are no worse, I don't think, than some of the other times of history that we can look back at and see uh, times where there was no religious freedom or liberty. And uh, certainly, uh, if you take into account uh, the entire history of mankind, the great freedom and liberty that you and I enjoy has been a relatively short period of time. Uh, just a couple of hundred of years uh, out of the thousands that man has been on this earth have we experienced great religious liberty like we've enjoyed in the last few hundred years. That being said, uh, we certainly don't want to take that liberty uh, for granted or to assume that it will always be there. Uh, we're dealing with some things in, in this uh, election. We're dealing with some things in this uh, uh, time of, of history that, I'll be real frank with you, will require a lot of prayer and a lot of wisdom from uh, the Lord in helping us to make right choices. And I want to encourage us in a few things. Uh, number one, I want you to pray uh, for our country, pray for our leaders of our country. And uh, the second thing, I want you to pray uh, what God would have you do by way of your vote. And then thirdly, I would ask you to search the Scriptures. And I, you say, Brother Greg, there's not a candidate out there on any uh, ticket that would completely line up with Scripture. Well, neither would you or I. <laughs> okay. But we need, to, we need to vote according to the Word of God as much as within us is. And I want to encourage you. I, I don't want to tell you who to vote for. Uh, certainly that would not be my place. That's something that God needs to deal with your heart on. But we do need to make sure that as Christians, we, uh, the, the, the purpose of our civil government is to uh, protect the innocent and the right for us to, to freely assemble and to worship God as our consciences dictate. And uh, for us to be able to protect that liberty at all costs, I think, is paramount. And want to encourage you, uh, you say, well, I don't like this candidate, I don't like that candidate. Um, that really should not be our deciding factor. Our deciding factor needs to be which one is going to help us to uh, retain our religious liberty to be able to practice freely. Because I'll be honest with you, the, the answer to America and the crisis we are in, and I wrote a, an article about this this past week, uh, it's, it's not in our legislation it's not in uh, solving the racial tensions. It's not in uh, climate change. None of that will, will solve the problems of our country. What will solve the problems of our, our country is when God's people get burdened enough about it that we humble ourselves, we forsake our sin, and we come to God in prayer with a humble spirit. And the Bible tells us that God will take and hear those prayers. And uh, we understand that He will heal those things. Uh, the problems that we're facing today is because for far too long, um, we as God's people have stood firm in our church houses. But as we've left the walls of our church houses, we've lived just like the world and we've allowed things to go on. And there comes a time where men of God and women of God need to take a stand for God. And we need to do it outside these church walls. So I want to encourage you in that and uh, uh, to be prayerful of those things. Would you do that and seek what God would have you to do? First Peter chapter number five and verse number eight. First Peter chapter number five and verse number eight. 
Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Father, we pray that you bless the message this morning and use it. Uh, Father, we need some direction from your word. We live in a time where uh, very much so Satan has been attacking and eroding uh, things about our faith. He's been attacking and eroding things in our life. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, from your word, understand and know how we're to deal with these things, how we're to handle them. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us uh, give us your Holy Spirit's power and direction and leading. Would you speak to hearts and stir from within? I pray that you would help us to honor and glorify you through the message this morning. And where needed, I pray that it will bring conviction. And then may we respond appropriately to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've read a very familiar passage of Scripture that I'm sure we're all familiar with if we've been in church any length of time at all. But it seems to me that sometimes familiarity with Scripture um, causes us to have an apathy towards the truth of it. And I want to just say it this way, that sometimes uh, we can quote verses that apply to things that happen in our lives, and yet for some reason we're so accustomed to things happening in our lives that we don't see how it applies, and we don't, we don't take note of some things. And there are times that the Bible uh, tells us that uh, God comes to the apostles, or sometimes He uses the apostles to come to the church or to some Christians, and He'll use phrases such as, Awake thou that sleepest. Uh, he talks about the idea that we're not to slumber or to sleep, that we're to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, to be able to, to look around and be aware of things that are happening And can I tell you this, that the Bible teaches very clearly that we have an adversary. And uh, the the Bible says in verse number 8 that we are to be sober and to be vigilant. Now, I think it's going to do us well this morning, before we get into the message, to think about the author of this particular book. The author of this book is Peter. You remember Peter? And I believe that Peter can speak from a position of authority on this, if anyone could. You remember when Jesus was having the Last Supper and he talks about Peter uh, denying him and Peter says, no, Lord, not even to the point of death, I won't deny you, and yet he does. Remember, he goes into the garden with the Lord Jesus Christ and he's one of the ones that gets to go a little farther in the garden with him. Isn't that a special thing? And several times the Lord comes back and Peter's asleep. Peter, God tells him, he says, Peter... The spirit is willing, but the flesh, the flesh is weak. Remember the time that uh, Peter was uh, hearing the Lord tell of his death and the upcoming death on the cross. And Peter said, not so, Lord, not so. Uh, Tell me this isn't going to be true. And the Lord rebukes him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter, of all people, of all of the apostles, I think had the authority to be able to pen such a verse as this. Because Peter knew firsthand, did he not, how easily it was to succumb to the things that Satan was going to bring his way. He understood the wiles of the devil. He understood that there were times that Satan could creep in unawares. And by the way, lest we think that we are any different Peter's also the one that walked on water. Peter is also the one that stood at Pentecost and 3,000 people trusted Christ as their Savior. And we think that we could be any better than Peter. 
that we ought to sit up and take heed and listen to these words coming from a place of authority and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God as He says that we're to be sober and we're to be vigilant. And notice this, the Bible tells us and Peter tells us this, that the devil is not our friend. Now, uh, whatever we think, and I've, I've said this so often before, A.W. Tozer made the comment that whatever we think God to be or whoever we think God to be, He is not. <clears throat> Can I say this? That in our lives, I think sometimes we have a wrong perception of Satan. When I was a kid, I remember my dad doing a, 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 a summer promotion in the church, and he was declaring war on the summer slump. And he had all the deacons and all the staff men dressed up in army fatigues, and they were declaring war on the summer slump. And he had a fellow get uh, dressed in a devil costume. And he would meet the cars as they came in the parking lot and try to get them to leave and go back and not come to church. And the deacons would come out in their army and army youth fatigues and tackle the devil. And I mean, they'd do all this kind. Of, and it was in fun and it was in jest. But you know, we 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 had this uh, devil costume. I never forget it. And, and we all know what a devil costume looks like, don't we? What, what does it look like? It's probably what color? Probably red. You know, got something on top of his head, a little horns, right? And maybe a pitchfork. Can I tell you this? We don't see this, the devil as, as we ought to. The Bible says that he was an angel. In fact, he was an angel of light. He was a beautiful creature. And I want you to know this, that he comes across, and one of the great tactics he uses is he comes across trying to help us think that, we're, that he's our friend. And it's amazing to me how many times that Satan comes and appears good to us. The Bible says twice in the book of Proverbs, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And Satan makes that sinful life look so, so glamorous, doesn't he? Not only that, Satan has an unfair advantage, doesn't he? He has an inside man. The Bible calls it the flesh. The flesh is in us, isn't it? The old nature is still in us. Even though we get saved and there's a new nature inside of us, the old man, the old nature is still battling. And that's why Paul, in Romans chapter number 6, six speaks so highly of the fact that we ought to be crucifying the old man. We ought to be, we ought to be bringing him under subjection in the old flesh nature because that's the inner man, that's the inside man, the man that is on the inside that, 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 that joins hands with Satan and tries to get us to do the things that we always find ourselves doing. But can I tell you this, that Satan is no friend of ours. It's amazing to me how many young people, how many young adults, and even as we get into our mid-years, how many times we, we get the, the world's philosophies begin to take hold in our hearts and in our minds. And uh, You know, I was listening to a, a, a thing that Paul Harvey wrote back in the 1960s, I think it was, 50-some years ago. And the title is it, uh, it was something along the lines of, uh, What Would I Do If I Were Satan? And boy, he goes through and he tells some things that back in the 60s were never even heard of. He would destroy the family. He would get children at odds with parents and parents at odds with children. He would get wives and husbands at odds with one another. Uh, he would, he would uh, cause disruption and racial tensions. And he would try to get all of these things going on. He would try to get the churches to water down their preaching. And he goes on and on through a whole list of these things. And can I tell you this, that for far too long we have, we have discounted Satan. And I don't, want to, I don't want to give him more credit than is due him. But the truth is he's lived longer than I am. He's smarter than I am. And he's going to be more powerful than I am. And I'll tell you this right now. We need to be sure that we take, uh, uh, be aware of the fact that he is able to do some things that he can even, the Bible says, if it were possible, even deceive the elect, those that are saved. 
And we must be aware of these things because what will happen is one of his great tactics is to bring division, isn't it? One of the great tactics is to try to get, uh, uh, get to, uh, I, I'm reminded of Ephesians chapters 5 and 6 as God deals with those relationships that are so uh, interesting to me, how that He patterns all of the relationships that we have with Him. He patterns after worldly relationships. Have you ever noticed that? The husband and the wife, the bride and the bridegroom. He, he patterns that, that relationship here on this earth. The parent to the child, the child to the parent. That's, that's a relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. He patterns that here on earth. The master to the servant, the servant to the master. He patterns that in this life. And he goes through all of those in, in Ephesians chapter number 5 and Ephesians chapter number 6. And he speaks about the fact that we are to be submitted one to another. That there needs to be a, a submission that, there, that takes place. And one of the great tactics that Satan tries to use is he tries to drive a wedge and split those things apart. And sad to say, he's successful far more often than I like to say. We find here as we get to the first part of this particular chapter that Peter says this, The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the oversight thereof. And he speaks to those that would be the shepherds or the pastors, the religious leaders of the day. Notice as we get to verse number 5, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject, notice this, one to another. Be subject one to another. Can I tell you one thing very quickly, and then we'll get into this. One of the, one of the great targets that Satan has are pastors and men of God that, that stand behind pulpits. He, he's, he's trying to get them and dissuade them to preach the whole counsel of God. He's trying in every way that he can. To, to practice some of the things that we'll look at here today, some of his tactics. And he'll work in the hearts of these pastors and these families of their pa- of pastors. And can I tell you this? One thing you need to be doing is praying for pastors all around the country. Not just me as, as your pastor, but all over the country. That there will be men of God that will stand in the pulpit of God and come back to God's Word and say, we're going to be steadfast in this book. We're living in a country where by the droves, last year alone, over 4,000 pastors left the ministry. 4,000, many of them never to return. 4,000 pastors. We need to be praying for them because Satan has a big target. Can I tell you this? Satan has a big target on you. No matter what we may think, no matter what the world may portray, he is not our friend. He is not the one that comes alongside and says, Oh, by the way, uh, let me help you with some things. I'll help you with some things here. And the sad fact of the matter is, it's amazing to me how many people outside the church house will, will swallow that lie that Satan feeds them, that, hey, I'm here to help you have life and to have it better, and everything will be better if you just do these things. I'm surprised with how many people inside the church house are following this. Satan is no friend of ours. The Bible says he's an adversary. He says a roaring lion. He says in verse number 8, he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And I'll tell you this, I, I was watching a documentary here a few months ago, and I enjoy nature programs. I was watching <clears throat> as a lion was stalking over in Africa, a herd of um, those, uh, those things that have the big long horns. I'm not sure what the name of them are. 
gazelle. Is it a gazelle? Okay. And they were stalking a herd of these things. I watched this thing. Man, I don't know how they get the footage of this. But this lion, and he's, he's crouched down in the high grass, and he's just, boy, just silent as, as anything. He's creeping up, and he's watching, and he's watching. And, and they, they, they cut the clip for sake of time, but this, this lion was there for a long, long period of time. He was patiently waiting. And what he was doing was he was looking for the one that was the weak one of the crowd. And he was looking for the one that was the straggler, the one that got away from the crowd, the one that, that didn't have the protection of that, uh, of that strength of the herd. And, and he was watching for that one that would stray just a little bit. It didn't take much. And when he found his opportunity, he launched into it. Can I tell you this? There's a reason why Peter uses this, this word picture in Scripture. Because Satan is walking around, he's looking for that Christian that's the one that's drifting, that's, that's straggling away from the Lord. He's the one that's, that's getting weak, the one that's backsliding, the one that's getting away from things. You know what Satan does? He comes to us and he, he, he questions God, doesn't he? By the way, he did that to Eve, didn't he, in the Garden of Eden? Yea, hath God said. Well, who is God to put that requirement on you, Eve? And by the way, I've seen so many young people. I've seen so many middle-aged people. I've seen a lot of old people who ought to know better that get this idea that God is, is some big bully up in heaven that's trying to regulate our lives and make them not fun and not full of joy. And Satan pulls the wool over our eyes and he tries to get us to see God that way, doesn't he? Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of the tree. I mean, this is a tree. It's good for food. It's pleasant. Why in the world would God hinder I wouldn't hinder you from eating that tree. And Satan comes to you and tries to put his arm around you and be like you're, he's your buddy. If you'll just follow him, he'll, he'll, he'll not be as mean as God is to you. That's the deception of Satan. He's seeking for that one that's going to drift from the Lord. The one that's going to get away from it. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. There's some things that I believe that this chapter teaches us about how to handle Satan. Look with me in verse number 5. The Bible says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. I tell you this, one of the great devices that God uses is division among God's people. In every relationship of your life, Satan tries to slip a foot in the door and get a foothold and tries to break apart a God-given relationship. A relationship between a husband and a wife. He's, he's after it, folks. You can mark it down. He's after your family. You say, Brother Greg, I have a happy marriage. Can I tell you, Satan is after your family. He's after your wife. He's after your husband. He's going to do everything he can to put a wedge in something that God has brought together, and He's going to try to drive it apart. He's working overtime, it seems like, in the day that we live, to drive a wedge between children and parents. He's using education. He's using entertainment. He's using government legislation, sad to say, nowadays, to drive a wedge between the children and the parents. To, to make children realize they don't have to obey parents. They don't have to be submissive to parents. That parents to look at children as a burden and not as someone that is a cherished gift from the Lord that we're to raise and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And Satan works and he tries to drive a wedge in there to try to, to break apart that relationship. 
Everything that He does is trying to destroy things. He's not there to help you have a better relationship. He's out to help you have a worse relationship. By the way, He comes into churches sometimes too, doesn't He? He tries to drive a wedge. He'll get one person saying one thing. He'll get another person saying another thing. And before long, you see a wedge that's being driven. We see families that are broken apart. We see churches that are broken apart. Because He can't stand the relationships. He wants to break them apart. By the way, He's after your relationship with God. One of the great tactics is to divide that one relationship that we think we have such a handle on so often. Our time with God. Our walk with Him. He tries to drive that wedge in there. And notice what it says here in verse number 5. He says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And it's easy for us to say, Boy, uh, you ought to listen to your pastor. You ought to listen to preachers. But can I say this? That the, the whole point of the passage is missed if we don't see the next part of this verse. As he says, All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with what? Humility. The great sin of pride is what he uses as the tool to drive these wedges. A husband and a wife begin to argue. Why? Because there's pride. I'm the one that's right. You're the one that's wrong. A child and a parent begins to have their relationship split apart because of pride. By the way, a church with strife in it is being split apart because of pride. You know, the Bible says this, only by pride cometh contention. The lack of forgiveness, the inability to be able to forgive another is only because of pride. If not, then God would have not written here about the idea and the importance in submitting ourselves one to another that we be clothed with humility. For God, the Bible says, resisteth the proud, but giveth what? He giveth grace to the humble. Humble, therefore, verse number 6, uh, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Can I tell you, first of all, we need to learn how to handle the division that Satan brings into our life. It may be a division between our, our em- employer and our workplace. It may be a division between the pastor and the church member. It may be a division between the church member and a church member. It might be a division between a family member. It might be a division between our walk with God and our relationship with Him. And every one of them is because of pride. Every one of them are because of pride. You say, Brother Greg, you just don't understand what that person did to me. No, what I understand is our pride is not allowing us to forgive them for what they did for us. Satan does this. He comes to Eve in the Garden of Eden. A relationship that was so precious. Could you imagine? To have God come down in the cool of the day and to walk with you. I'm talking about God. Coming down and walking with Him in the midst of the garden in the cool of the day. And what does Satan do? Well, who is God? Eve, who is He to tell you you can't have that tree? He begins to divide the wedge of pride. We need to learn to handle the division that God brings into our life. And the way we do that is by finding humility. To be a forgiving person. 
Be sober, Peter says. Be vigilant. Peter had to learn, didn't he? He had to learn how to forgive. Remember, he came to Christ, didn't he? He said, Lord, how often should I forgive? Seven times? What did God tell Peter? You think Peter learned the lesson of humility? We see Peter transformed in the beginning of his life as a proud, arrogant, ignorant fisherman. By the end of his ministry, a humble, powerful servant of God. Oh, that God would take us and transform us into that type of a Christian. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. He's not after, he's not after giving us a hard time or to make our life difficult. He's not trying to hurt us. He's trying to devour us. He's trying to destroy us. His intent, his goal, his purpose is to destroy He's going to destroy everything that's precious to us, every relationship we've ever had. And that's His goal. That's His target. Verse number 7, the Bible says this, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. The second thing that Satan does is he brings discouragement. We need to learn to handle graciously discouragement. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. The idea of worry, the idea of being burdened, those things that would frustrate and discourage us, those things that would cause us to say, boy, I'll tell you what, I, and by the way, Satan does this. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, the first-hand experience. Satan does this because it happened to me. He gives you this thought. Lord, I've done all this for You. I have sacrificed. I have served. I have labored. And You allow this to happen in my life. And Satan takes that and he drives a wedge. He discourages. He fans the flames of that. He allows that little root, that little seed to begin to fester and to grow. The frustration. We begin to get bitter at God. Well, how in the world, after all I've done for God, how would He treat me this way? Can I tell you, that is nothing more than pride. Been there. I see a lot of heads shaking. I know many of you have been there. You've been to the place where God has become something that you've looked at and said, I can't believe He would treat me this way after all that I've done for Him. Can I tell you this? Anything we have ever done for the Lord Jesus Christ is for our benefit and is a privilege to us, not to Him. And anything He's ever done to us has always been for our benefit and for His glory. But Satan uses discouragement, doesn't he? He comes to Eve at the Garden of Eden, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree. I mean, this tree is good for food. It's pleasant to the eyes. It's a tree to be desired to make one wise. And God just doesn't want you to be like He is. Remember that statement? Knowing good and evil. God is just not fair. It brings discouragement, doesn't it? Can I tell you this? 
the best way to handle that is learn to take all of our care and to cast it on the Lord. Again, think about who's writing here. This is Peter. What was Peter's profession? You remember? What did he do before the Lord called him? He was a fisherman, wasn't he? You remember there was a story that was told that Peter went out and he fished all night and didn't catch one thing. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes along and He tells Peter, He says, I want you to launch out into the deep. And He said, I want you to, what? Cast your net on the other side. This term that Peter uses, casting all of your care upon Him. You, you know what? Peter understood and he knew that when it came time for fishing, you took the big old net with all of its entanglements and you took that thing and you heaved it out of the boat. It didn't have any part of the boat. He just wanted to get it out of there. And he uses a phrase that people could relate to, that people could see. Can I tell you this? There's a lot of times that these, these frustrations that Satan puts in our minds, these little roots of bitterness that, God put, that Satan puts into our minds about the Lord Jesus Christ or about uh, another brother or sister in Christ that begins to fester and he begins to needle that and drive that wedge home. You know, the Bible tells us we ought to take that thing and we ought to cast it Get it out of our lives and put it at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. It should have no part. You know what a lot of us do? <clears throat> we take that thing. I, <laughs> I remember the first time I ever did a cast net. Any of you ever thrown a cast net? Any of you? Okay. So, so you know how you hold it and, and we had a big one. You had to put part of it in your teeth and hold part of it up there. And then you take it and you spread it in a certain way. And then you get ready to throw it out there. And this thing weighed a lot. I was about nine years old. I was over at a friend's house. And uh, he, he had a canal there. It was about six foot down to the water. And it was about maybe two or three foot deep in the water. And I'll never forget. He had been throwing it. He's probably two or three years older than I was. He showed me how to throw this thing. I'll never forget the first time I ever threw this thing. I had it in my teeth. And I went to go throw it. And I threw it out there. And I, I didn't let loose of it with my teeth. And it pulled me forward. I'll go right into the water. Because even though I had cast it, I hadn't let go of it. And we laugh and we chuckle at that, but we do that. We take the discouragement that Satan so easily uses to wedge and to cause us to get a root of bitterness towards the things of God. And we try to cast them like we know we ought. But we just can't quite let it go. And can I tell you, it's going to be a very short period of time before we find ourselves in the bottom of that spiritual canal. Because we didn't let it go. I want you to notice we need to be able to understand and to handle and deal with the disappointment in life, the frustration in life. And then look with me, verse number 9. He says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. These, these same afflictions that we face, they're accomplished in our brethren that are in the world. And can I tell you this? If we're not careful, we'll get our eyes on the things that are happening in other people's lives and we'll be distracted by those things. We'll get our eyes off of the God of the problem and we'll begin putting them on the circumstances of the problem. The flesh nature that's in this world, the things that come up in this world that happen and, and are happening not only to us, but to other brethren. We begin to look at all the trials and troubles. I'll be real honest with you. If we're not careful, we'll look at the things that are going on in our country today, the one that we love so much. And we'll look at that and we'll say, boy, there's no hope. 
It's so far gone. It's so far down the road in the slippery slope of immorality. It's so far down a godless way that there's no hope for America. There's no hope for bringing our country back. And if we're not careful, we'll be distracted by all of the things that are going on and we'll get our eyes off of the one that can solve the problem. Our, our, our answer for America is not in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, our answer for America is when God's people will get their hearts back in tune with God and His Word. We get our eyes on the wrong thing. Our focus becomes distracted. We begin to get uh, so worried and enamored with some things. Hold your place here for just a moment. Look with me in the book of Zechariah, chapter number 3. <clears throat> Zechariah, just uh, two books back from Matthew. Zechariah, chapter number 3. I want you to see something here. Oh, I'm so thankful for this verse. Zechariah chapter number 3. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand. You see that? To resist him. Here's the high priest, the one that's doing the work of the Lord. He comes before the Lord. The Bible says that Satan is standing at his right hand to resist him. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's the master of lies. He's the father of it, the Bible says. But look what the Bible says in verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan... The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Satan comes and he stands beside Joshua the high priest while Joshua the high priest is before the Lord doing the service of the Lord. And Satan begins to be the accuser of him. He begins to be one to resist him and do all that he could. And God says, wait a minute, that's enough. Stop. This fellow right here, He's as a brand that's been plucked out of the fire. Satan, he's mine. That's enough. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 10. But the God of all grace, isn't that a good statement? I love that. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Notice this. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. We need to deal with some things in our lives. We need to deal with the division that Satan brings. We need to deal with the discouragement that Satan brings. We need to deal with the distractions that Satan brings. You say, Brother Greg, how do I do that? By keeping our eyes on the one who the Bible says will make us perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You know, the Bible says this, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. To him, verse number 11, be glory and, what's the next word? Dominion. Forever and ever. Amen.
Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I pray that you'll bless the message this morning. Lord, use it as you would see fit. May we be aware of the things that Satan is doing. Lord, may our eyes be once again opened, that our focus and our vision would be made clear as to the times that we are living in. That these things that Satan does so often in our lives that sometimes happen without us even realizing or knowing or understanding that they're being done. Lord, may we come to an understanding and a realization that we need to persevere through them with our eyes focused upon You, the One that will make us perfect, the One that will establish us in these things, the, ones that will, the One that will give us strength. And Father, I pray that You would help us to put our hope, to put our life in Your hands. We would not allow Satan to get that foothold. We would not allow him to come into our lives and discourage us in these areas. That he would distract us with the things of this world. That he would bring division into our lives. Lord, may we learn to walk holy with thee day by day. That we would rest upon your strength. I pray that you would guide and direct in the message and in the invitation time to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.